Welcome to your success tonic. If you're ready to explore what it would mean to step into your boldest, most exciting vision of success, then you're in the right place. Welcome to your success tonic. I am delighted to welcome Janet Barrett onto the podcast today. She is a very special guest indeed. She's a true mental health warrior. She's very proactive as a mental health advocate and educator and writer who believes in taking action to deal with our inner struggles instead of simply just letting it go. So as someone who's experienced the weight of trauma and mental health challenges, Janet knows firsthand that simply pushing through is not enough. She founded Cerebral Health, a company dedicated to proactive mental health education and strategy, and authored Stop the Break to share her approach. Janet's mission is to slay the stigma surrounding mental health and change the way we approach mental health care. So in this episode, Janet is going to share her insights on the mental health crisis and the importance of early action. And she's going to give us some great insights. So I cannot wait to jump in. Welcome, Janet. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and talk to you and everybody that is part of your community. Oh, we, I'm just so, so excited to dive into this topic because with you, because I just think it's extremely important and it's still something that isn't talked about enough, certainly not in ways that are, uh, you know, actionable and empowering and ways that we can drive things forward. So um, let's jump right in. And I want to ask you, um, you know, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you faced? In your career? So I think the biggest challenge that I faced going through my career, and I'll give your listeners a little bit of background. So I'm now in my 50s, and this is sort of my third chapter of my adult life. So the first chapter, I was in the corporate world. I was a consultant in um, some strategy and merchandising in the retail and apparel industries. And I worked all over the world working with very large companies. If you name a retailer or a major apparel brand, I probably worked with them. And I did that for a long time. And then I retired when I had four kids in three years and three months. Wow. And I became a, yeah, <laughs> I became a stay at home mom for about 10 years. And then I uh, got divorced and I wanted to go back into the working world. And I struggled with how to do that effectively for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. So the first one was being a stay-at-home mom. I felt that I had lost a lot of the business acumen that I had developed in the mm -hmm. corporate world. And specifically because of the time frame that I was out of the working world, it was basically roughly 2010 to 2020. And if you think about what happened in the world in that decade, from a technology standpoint, a communication standpoint, just a way that we deal with and interact with each other and the amount of information that can flow, it changed so dramatically. And I didn't have confidence in myself to go back and just jump right in. Right. And so I went and got um, a master's degree in organizational psychology. 
And the reason I chose that area is because it encapsulated the part of my consulting career that I really loved, which is helping people make change in a way that is effective Mm -hmm. and um, efficient. So you're, you do it as quickly as you can, but make sure it's effective. So it's not threatening to people that they understand what's going on so that they adopt change um, better. Mm -hmm. As I was going through that though, I realized I didn't want to go back and do what I used to do. Mm-hmm. I needed something somewhat different for a variety of reasons. Me personally, I wanted to keep some of the connection I had with my stay-at-home mom flexibility in life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also wanted to find something that I was really passionate about. So when I was in grad school, I had to write a thesis. And my thesis advisor said to me, because I was very nervous about figuring out what am I going to write a thesis on? I haven't written a thesis. Oh my goodness. I'm 50 (laughs) years old. What am I going to do? And she said to me, find something that you can't stop talking about. Mm. Mm. And my first thought was, well, that would be my kids. (laughs) Of course. Right. Probably not a good thesis. Yeah. And then through a variety of circumstances, I discovered this concept of proactive mental health. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I started writing my thesis on. And that's what I became very passionate about. And so I wanted to say, what can I do around this? And then I had the great fortune of meeting our mutual friend, Cameron Huban. And I worked with her to say, what am I going to do with this? Because I didn't really know. And I, she's like, you really have a message to get out there. I think you should write a book. Mm. And I went, (laughs) I'm not going to write a book. (laughs) That's not me. And then I pondered it for a while. And I was like, you know what? Actually, I think I really do. I think I have a book in me because I had a very strong message that I wanted to communicate to the world. And the book allowed me to really get that out of my mind where it was spinning around and put it on paper. Mm-hmm. And so my book is really a continuation of my thesis because my thesis okay. was around, yeah. does proactive mental health work? And if so, what's the benefit? So to your question about, you know, what are the is the biggest challenge for me going through my life? It was actually finding that passion mm-hmm. because- I can remember people saying to me, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. (laughs) Yeah, we've all heard that. And and I worked every single day because I liked it. It wasn't that I did not like what I did, but I didn't love it. And it wasn't until I got to grad school and the professor said to me, find something you can't stop talking about. And then I made that what I couldn't stop talking about. I made that work for me and changed my career and my trajectory into that is how I'm going to be successful because now I I get up every day, I talk to people about it, I give speeches about it, I promote my book, I help people actually really understand what this concept is. And so that to me was the way that I found the ability to be successful. Mm. That's so interesting. I love hearing your story. I love how everyone's story is so different. And yet, you know, we have this in common, this um, this diving into some very specific area that holds such 
powerful interest for us. Um, yes. So I really relate to that because for me, um, it was very much an obsession around, you know, what is success? What blocks us? How do we get unstuck? You know, that's why I created my business, why I created this podcast, because it's just, I don't just do this for work. I think about it all the time. I read about it. I study it. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you find not talking about it, yeah, yeah, when you find that passion, it is, it really truly is what they say that you'll never work a day in your life. I just never understood how you got there. I really, sure. it was one of those things. I'm like, oh, great. Well, maybe you know, lucky person over there can figure that out. Yeah. And it was that grad school professor, Dr. Heilman. Hi, Dr. Heilman, Hi. Um, saying, "What can you not stop talking about?" Mm -hmm. And then working with somebody to say, okay, if this is what you can't stop talking about, there's not just one path to your point. There's a whole bunch of different paths that you can take when you find that thing. And it might not be a traditional way, but there are options for you to really take that to the next level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do think though, that there is a lot of pressure, right? until we get that to that point, there's a lot of pressure on everyone to find, find your passion, right? And I think that that can, you know, certainly in some of my clients, I've just seen that people put a lot of weight on themselves thinking, well, I don't know what my passion is, there's something wrong with me, why don't I have a passion? What is this all, you know, so um, that's also like that place where you're, you're feeling the pressure and you're not finding the answer, it's really hard. I, and so, um, yeah, I just want to shout out yeah. who's listening, who's feeling that, who's like, well, I haven't got there yet. <laughs> well, I think back to my teen years and there was so much pressure to say, where are you going to college? What are you going to major in? What are you going to do in life? Yeah. And I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I had absolutely no idea, literally until I was 50 and I went back to school did I actually find what I wanted to do? And I fell into a career entirely when I, so I did my undergraduate and I went in for generic business, mm -hmm. which I had no idea. It was basically like, I don't know what else to put. So I'm going to put generic business. Yeah. And then I had the really good fortune of having an amazing professor in a class that was called history of costume. I took that class because I loved theater and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be really cool to study, you know, historical theater costumes? Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't read the description. That is not what history of costume is. <laughs> and it's actually about the history of what we wear. It's just the history of apparel. So looking yeah. at historical events and using this lens of how do we, you know, put attire on and how is it reflective of society at that time? And I will say the class was fascinating. Yeah. I loved it. It, that completely changed my life as well. This professor, I fell in love with her. She was phenomenal. Dr. Annette Lynch. She um, really helped guide me and give me some direction, which was, I actually wanted to become a museum curator because I was very passionate about historical costume. And so I went to grad school for that. I was actually getting a master's of science in clothing and textiles so I could learn how to restore costumes and things like that. And when I did that, so here's the challenge when you find your passion and the path is not really there. 
Mm. So at most, a museum might have one historical costume curator. Right. And most museums actually don't have that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's such a niche environment. Absolutely. And I needed to have a job. I needed to put food on the table. Nobody, you know, was handing me anything. And so I was like, okay, I need to find a job. So I changed the trajectory because of that, because I felt that pressure to go and be successful. And I basically walked away from that entirely and ended up when I was in grad school, as I'm going through that process and coming to this realization that I needed to find a different path. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the women that I knew, she was um, a little bit older, had come back to school. She said, I think you should interview for this job at my company. And in my head, I thought, you know what? I'm going to take the interview simply because I've never had a real interview before. Mm -hmm. And I got the job. <laughs> I didn't even know what the job was. It was called category management. And I'm like, I should probably learn this before I start. And that is literally what I ended up doing. I completely right. fell into it, didn't know what it was. And mm -hmm. again, I liked it. It was interesting. It was, it had some things around why I liked the history of costume, which is how do people relate to apparel and why do they choose the things mm -hmm. they chose? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those, again, I liked it, but I just didn't have passion. And I wish somehow I would have taken more time at that younger age to really say, you know what, invest in yourself, take the time. You're not going to, you know, skyrocket maybe in your career, but that's okay because long-term it's going to pay off. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. Yeah. And that's the truth. The truth is that that's the reality for a lot of people, right? We we have to, we have circumstances that drive us to make practical decisions. And um, my my take on it is when I look back on my life, that even if I had found my passion earlier and I'd pursued it full full on earlier, that I wouldn't have the the insights and the experiences that I acquired along the way that got me to where I was able to choose this. And so I feel like even if I had chosen this early, I might have fallen out of it. You know, I might have not, it might not have kind of captured me in the same way. So I think that's true. Mm -hmm. As I, I don't know. So my passion for historical costume, I still love yeah. Um, I don't know if it would have stayed with me the whole time. I don't know that it wouldn't, but I am fairly certain that the passion I did find around proactive mental health, yeah. I would not have the strength of passion and excitement around if I wasn't doing it at this point in my life. Yeah. Because it was so much of a build up to, exactly. you know, that point and having kids for mm -hmm. me really played a big part in it because even though you may talk with friends or other people about mental health issues or challenges they're having for me until I watched this 
individual grow from an infant and go through all of these stages and be intimately connected with each one of them. Mm -hmm. And there was a particular instance where my son, I have um, two boys and two girls. My second son came to me when he was nine years old and he looked at me and he goes, mom, I think the world would be better off without me. And I was like, wow, that is soul crushing to hear your child say that the world would be better off without them. And my initial reaction was I'm putting you in bubble wrap and I am holding you close and no, the world is not better off without, you know, if you weren't here, the world is so much better with you in it. But I also knew he needed something else. There was something behind that. It wasn't just a blanket statement. There was clearly something in his head that was driving it. And I also knew that was bigger than me. That was bigger than anything I could figure out or his dad. Like we could not do that. Right. And so we got him a therapist who I told him everything that was going on. I told him my concerns and um, he met with him for a couple of weeks he was, I I could not say enough good things about this guy either. He really took the time to make my son feel very comfortable in his space. And I don't think everyone does that. I think therapists definitely have the gift of that, but he took a lot of, I feel like extra care because of the situation. Mm-hmm. And he called me after a couple of weeks and he said, I think I know why your son feels that way. And of course I was like, why, why? Tell me, tell me why. And he Mm -hmm. said, it's because of the bad thoughts he has about other people. I was like, I, what? I don't understand. He's like, so thoughts like, I hate my brother. I wish he'd die. Mm -hmm. Thoughts that we all have. My son thought having a bad thought made you a bad person. He didn't know that everybody has those bad thoughts. I mean, heck, I got driving behind somebody this morning who was going 20 in a 40 mile per hour zone. I had bad thoughts about that person. Right. All right. We all have those days. Exactly. It's not having the thought. It's what you do about it. Mm-hmm. And so how you are able to address that, because you need to be able to address whatever clearly that person has angered you. And if you are in a situation, it happens to be your brother, let's figure out why you're upset with him. And I'm sure you don't want to kill him. It's just the reaction that you're saying in the moment. And that's okay. It's okay to have that reaction. It's just not okay to act on that exact thought, but it is okay to realize that, hey, that reaction is telling me I need to do something. And so often I feel like we tell people you need like suppress that you keep that inside. Don't let that go. And what he was hearing was I need to suppress that. I need to not ever show that. And oh my gosh, the thoughts keep happening. I keep having thoughts. You know, this kid cut me off in line and like, I think he's a jerk. Well, that's a bad thought. No, it's, I mean, it is, but it's not, does not make you a bad person. And so he needed to learn that it's okay to have them and you have to safely express them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But had I not been a parent, I wouldn't have gotten that experience. I wouldn't have gotten that exposure. And I can remember going through it going, you know, I don't think that I ever really acknowledged 
that we all have those thoughts. Hmm. I don't think at any point in my life I went and had that conscious thought of, oh, yeah, actually, everybody probably has some bad thoughts every once in a while. Yeah. In fact, I had, I li was, I listened to a lot of podcasts and I love podcasts, just like I love yours. Um, <laughs> I was listening to a podcast and they gave the statistic that um, more than 50% of individuals in the world, this is not a country specific statistic. This is 50%, more than 50% of the people in the world have actually thought about how they would kill someone. Wow. wow. And the it's one of those, you're like, wow, they don't do it. But like, they literally have gotten to the point where they're so upset with somebody that they've had that thought. But most people are like, I don't even want to admit that maybe I've ever had that thought. And it's not that you went, you know, to the nth degree of planning it, but it was like, maybe I could just hit him with my car. Maybe I could, you know, do whatever. It's just that quick thought. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all have thoughts like that. It's not the thought. It is the action that we need to worry about. But we need to acknowledge and let people understand it's okay to have the thought. Let's figure out what to do with that because it's clearly a sign that something is going on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This, this has a real deep correlation with the work that I do with my clients around managing these thoughts that create such massive blocks in our ability to move forward. Um, and it often has to do with the judgment that we're laying on ourselves for having the thought. So this is fascinating to me. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Oh, good. I'm glad. It also goes to like the in general stigma right. of mental health. Yes. And the fact that as a society, and this has been this way basically since civilization started, the brain and thoughts are so, it's such a black box. We don't know what's inside. And we are definitely learning more every single day, uh, Yeah, which is fascinating. Neuroscience, oh my goodness, that is an area that is revolutionary. Mm -hmm. However, to your point of, you know, we get these thoughts and concerns in our head, it's usually a stigma that society has placed on us that we've internalized. Exactly. And mental health stigma is so ingrained in society that even though we're making small steps forward, it still really stops people from being able to embrace something and, you know, do, do anything proactive about it because they've heard for so long that, you know, oh, if, you know, what are you weak right. or, you know, that you don't need to do that. Just walk past it. You're fine. Just move on. And you can't always do that. And it's, it's, it's so empowering to know that we are making strides there but I also uh, feel like we're so limited in the willingness to accept it because nobody wants to admit that they have a challenge right yeah yeah it's it's so hard to come forward and share your story if you're terrified of the stigma that will be attached to you oh absolutely so I know you mentioned to me that you hate the phrase, just let, just let that shit go. So can mm -hmm. you share a personal story that, or, you know, like tell me what led to this perspective? 
So what led me to this perspective is so many people, well, and you've probably heard all of your life, like rub some dirt in it. You'll be fine. Don't yeah. be a crybaby. Yeah. And what led me to that is that I went through life literally just plowing through all of that stuff mm -hmm. and going to the next thing. And I did, I just thought I was throwing it all behind me and I was moving through everything and yeah, let it go, let it go, let it go. And what I didn't realize is that I wasn't actually letting it go and you can't really let it go. If what you've done, if something bad has happened to you and you have suppressed your reaction mm -hmm. and you've moved past it, so you're on to the next thing, your body and your mind haven't actually let that go because mm -hmm. you've trapped it inside you. And you can plow through a lot of stuff, but I really believe at some point in time, you need to deal with it or you're going to have these either little explosions or big explosions, kind of like a pressure cooker. You get yeah. to a certain point, it just has to let some of that steam out. And I, I really, I didn't recognize this. I did not know it until I finally broke. And I broke at 49 because mm -hmm. I found out my husband was having an affair and he wanted a divorce. This is not an uncommon event. It is a horrible event to go through. Absolutely. But hundreds of thousands of people go through this every year men and women. It doesn't matter what race, creed, color, ethnicity, orientation. It doesn't matter. It happens to a lot of people. Yeah. And I had been through a lot of things in my life and I had been able to get through all of them and continue going. And this one thing broke me completely. Mm -hmm. I could not eat. I could not sleep. I am almost five, six, and I was under a hundred pounds. <gasps> I I literally couldn't keep pants on. It was, and I got small pants and it was, I was so unhealthy and I went to the doctor and I got medication and it started to help, but it wasn't enough. And I did therapy. I did yoga. I did meditation. I went on walks. I had lunch with my friends. I went outside. I did everything that they say to do. And I still wasn't really getting better. I was still having issues. And so it got me to the point of understanding the just let that shit go is not a phrase for me, was I learned about that mind-body connection and how research really in the last 20 years has shown if you suppress a natural physical reaction to an emotion, and I'm going to take a really quick pause and explain that a little bit, because um, that's something that I don't think everybody um, intuitively understands. But if you think about being happy, what happens when you're happy? You physically, you smile, you might laugh, you can feel your lightness in your body, you get a little taller. When you're excited, you might jump or yell or scream, but it's a physical reaction. When we get sad, we cry. But when we get angry, what do you do? Nothing. Most people you keep hold it, it in. Yeah. Exactly. And I held a lot of anger for a long, long time. 
And so when I started researching this concept of connecting the two, the mind and the body, and realizing your body does actually want to physically release your emotions, it helps you. And when you do, it actually helps you release the weight that that thought has in your head. And similar to when Cameron said, I should write a book. When I first read about this concept, I went, I haven't done that for 49 years. Why would I need to start now? Well, clearly something was wrong. I needed to try something different. So I did. I started saying, okay, well, how can I do that? And how can I do it in a safe way? And so I found ways to think about something that was making me angry. And I had to do it for a variety of emotions, but mainly anger and sadness, because I also held my sadness inside me. I didn't really ever cry or let it out. And so I had to find safe ways to say, how can I get this out as I'm thinking about the emotion without taking it on, uh, taking it out on another person? Mm. And so I found a couple of different methods that worked for me. Um, one happened to be hitting a punching bag. Mm-hmm. So as I'm thinking about the thought, I would start punching. And I actually worked with a therapist to come up with this concept. And she would talk to me about the event. And we'd end up getting a phrase that encapsulated my anger. Mm-hmm. And I'll make it more PG, but like you, you stupid jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would start yelling it and I would hit and I would hit and I would hit that punching bag as hard as I could. And I would scream that phrase. And I really actually was able to then let it go and release it. But it was not just ignore it and let it go. It was, I need to do this action and release it from my body. And once I did, it, it truly became life-changing. And I started and I ended up going back through all of the things that I had been holding for decades. I was a childhood sexual abuse survivor and I never did anything about it. I never really dealt with it. I talked to a therapist, but I never released it. And I released that and I released a whole bunch of things. And I did not realize the weight that that had on me. It hurt my body physically carrying so much of that stress around. Um, I had a whole bunch of kind of random things that happened to me physically throughout my life that never really had a medical explanation. And I look back and each one of those was tied to a very stressful event. And my body was yelling at me saying, hey, pay attention, deal with this. You have to actually let this go because if you hold it inside for that long, it's going to hurt you. And so it wasn't the event of the divorce that was so overwhelming to me. It was the decades of not dealing with it. And this was the one that said, you know what? You just can't take anymore. It is the straw that broke this camel's back. And once I was able to figure that out and realize, deal with it all, then I moved forward. And That is really the impetus or the start of how I learned about proactive mental health. Mm -hmm. Because if you can start that whole process Mm -hmm. at a much younger age, you don't have to end up having that weight. You don't have to carry it with you, but you have to be proactive about it. You have to go out there and release that steam from your pressure cooker. You know, take that weight off of your back because nobody else is going to do it for you. The world is not going to stop and say, hey, Janet, why don't you take a minute? Yeah. 
Exactly. They're not, they don't, the world doesn't care about that, but you have to care about yourself and make that effort to be proactive. Mm -hmm. And that I think would help with so many of the stressful mental health situations that we're in today, because people have taken on so much in the last few years and the world has changed so dramatically that we don't have enough therapists to help everybody. And so I want to find other tools for people to say, okay, you might not be able to get into a therapist, but here's other things you can do. And so that's what Stop the Break is about, is helping people learn how they can be proactive and hopefully never break. Mm. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much, Janet, for sharing your journey, your story. It's so powerful. And Thank I know you. that people listening are going to resonate with so much of, of it because I certainly do. I have um, a lot of similar uh, paths that I, that I followed. Um, and I think that so many of us are taught that it's not okay to express our emotions. There are so many contexts in which you cannot, you're not allowed to express your anger. I mean, there are no, there are no really good outlets for anger. There's no socially acceptable outlets for anger. And that exactly. is, when I realized that, I was like, you know what? You know, it was like, this is not okay because we all feel anger. You know, what are we going to do with it? No wonder everyone is just like choking on, on this emotion that they feel is not okay to express. And yet it's just bursting out through the seams, right? At the moment, yes. especially if we can see that tension building up. Yeah. Everyone. Well, and when I talk to women that have children and they, and this can also be for men, but I talk to women primarily, um, they tell me, you know, oh, I freaked out on my kids because they weren't picking up their socks. Yeah. Well, they weren't freaking out because they didn't pick up their socks. They were freaking out because they had like, can like kept in and suppressed so much emotion for so long. And that just was that tipping point. And they were just like, I just can't take it anymore. And you hear that a lot from people where it's like, I got upset about the stupidest thing. I'm not even really that upset about it, but I've sort of put my stake in the ground and now I have to be upset about it. And like, it's because you probably could have completely dealt with that situation if you didn't have all of that stuff building up, but you also weren't able to, or you didn't feel comfortable or empowered to take the time and say, I need to take a break for myself. I need to let that stuff go in a way that is proactive and get it really off of my back so that I can re-engage with the world. Yeah. I had a really good friend of mine send me a text the other day and she knows everything that um, I do and what I recommend. And she said, Janet, I really need to cry, but I don't have time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wrote back, yes, you do make it and make it right now because nobody else is going to tell you to do it. So Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, put it right now in your calendar take 10 minutes. It doesn't need to take five hours, take right. 10 minutes and let that sadness out. Cause she had been going through a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm like, it is just percolating and you need to let it go. And she didn't. And she ended up 
having a meltdown in her boss's office. Right. Yeah. And she's embarrassed about what happened. I'm like, one, I don't think you should be embarrassed. Everybody understands. However, if you were able to take that time, find that little pit stop in your life to schedule it when it's safe for you, it's safe for everybody else, it makes it so much easier. And I I literally, I never thought about doing that until way later in my life than I really needed to. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> She's so lucky to have you as a friend to give her this advice. It's fantastic. Thank so, you. Um, tell, tell us a bit about what you hope the readers of your book are going to take away from it. So there's a, a million things I hope that they take away from it. <laughs> but I will say there's two really big things that I hope readers of my book take. And the first one is learning what I call warning signs. Mm -hmm. So I believe that everyone has signs that things are starting to overwhelm them. Mm. And I think there's physical signs. And then I think, I think there are actions that we do. So for me, when I start to get stressed and overwhelmed, the physical signs that I know, my shoulders start hunching up and they get tense, my stomach starts to hurt, and I get headaches. If any of those happen, I am clearly avoiding dealing with something, and I'm trying to just shove it away and press it down. And so I have listed out, and I have other ones other than that, but I have listed out on a piece of paper, and I'm pointing to the side of my computer because it's literally posted on the side of my computer what my warning signs are. So those are my physical ones. But then my actions, um, I have a variety. I scroll social media <laughs> to a degree that I don't need to continue looking at those puppy videos or mommy farmer videos. I, I, I get way too into that and I'm doing it because I don't want to deal with something else. Right. Or um, I will avoid going on walks with friends or having lunch with friends or talking to them on the phone. Because if I do, I know they're going to ask me questions I don't want to have to face. And so I, again, that's on my list. I went through and identified what are my warning signs and I put it up in a place where I have to see it. So it's in my face every day and it helps keep me accountable. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm definitely not perfect at it at all, but it does make it keeps me aware of what I should be paying attention to as opposed to trying to keep it in my head because I've got too much stuff in my head already. I'm right. never going to put that at the top of my checklist. So I have the physical reminder. So I would love to have people that are listening or people that read the book to go and figure out what are your morning signs because it will help you know when you need to take those little pit stops and those breaks so you can be proactive in dealing with your mental health. And then the second major thing that I hope people get and understand is that you really need to connect the mind and the body and realize that that natural reaction you have is there for a reason. And when you try to not let that natural reaction out, it is going to be trapped inside and you need to safely release it at some point in time because it's going to come out. 
So let it out safely. So you don't yell at your kids about their socks or get in road rage that becomes something that it should never become. And if you can do it safely at, you know, certain points that are scheduled throughout your day, it just helps you be able to really engage and be present in your life. Mm. Yes. Okay. Well, I hope everyone um, goes and, and looks for this book and starts to implement some of these fabulous uh, tools that you've got in there and ideas that will just really start to help things feel more uh, manageable and, you know, actually help process such difficult out things that feel so out of control, start to make them feel normal and totally uh, the, the release is within reach. I would love that. That would be amazing. And if anybody wants to find it, the easiest way to find it is to go to www.stopthebreak.life. And everything is out there, even worksheets and stuff for you. So it's all free. It's all out there. Fantastic. And those links will be in the show notes for anyone who's listening and just wants to click right through. So thank you so much, Janet. It's been great talking to you. So many wonderful insights. And again, I want to really acknowledge just the courage and power that it takes to come and share a story like yours and the generosity the generosity of that and and wanting to do to do to do that in order to help other people so thank you thank you it is my pleasure and my honor to be able to share my story and if it helps even one person then i feel like i've done something that is really good for the world yes yes you are definitely doing that well thank you i appreciate it and i appreciate your podcast Thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a ridiculous amount of fun to produce. <laughs> That's good. Like, have these kinds of conversations, which I find absolutely fascinating. <laughs> yes. And I get the benefit of being able to listen to the conversations that you have. So thank you. Of course. Thank you. And thank you to all of you who are listening. I'm so glad you are here with us today. And I hope you'll have a wonderful week. Hey, have you taken the Success Archetype quiz yet? If not, head on over to storytonic.co to take the quiz and discover how to leverage your unique profile to step into your next vision of success.